0: Hey there. You're listening to NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Tinbe Pop music is, you know, popular, and as a result, it can often reflect ourselves back to us. And in the case of H-pop, journalist Kunal Peruhit argues that that's a dangerous thing. H-pop reverts to Hindutva pop a genre of music that promotes Hindu nationalist ideas and one that's been gaining a lot of traction in India in recent years. In a new book called H-pop, The secretive World of Hindutva Pop Stars, Peruhit argues that the music itself is often a vehicle for hate speech, specifically against religious minorities and those who criticize the BJP, the party of India's prime minister, Narendra Modi. He spoke about it with international correspondent dia Hadid, who covers India for NPR. That's right after the break. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret— and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Here's NPR's Dia Hadid and journalist Kana Paruhit. They start off by talking about the origins of the genre.
1: When did it begin? Like, is there a particular moment you can say, this, this is where H-pop really takes off in India?
2: I think, frankly, it's difficult to pinpoint an exact timeline for this because so much of this world, despite four years of trying to track it, so much of this world is unknown. And one reason behind it is that, you know, we in the media have not really been able to track the rise of of this genre of hate crime and, and sort of hate speech, which is really essentially what H-pop is disguised as. But But what I did start seeing is this obviously started sometime after 2014 when when you know modi came to power and when really the the hindu nationalist ideology came to the forefront and and became the most dominant political ideology of india uh, that's essentially you know when it started and and if you look at what hindutva pop culture does it is really the everyday level of communalism that it's trying to inject into your veins which becomes extremely difficult not just to track but also becomes extremely difficult to counter and to fight you know when you know if it's a political speech that someone's giving or if it's a riot that happens somewhere uh, you you know that it becomes an event that you then need to maybe take action against you know there are law enforcement agencies there are the courts they will be able to do all of that but what happens when you when you're just simply creating songs that that are uploaded every single day on on youtube on spotify on any you know streaming service that you can name off these songs remain in all of them
1: You had um, tracked three people, chiefly, in this book. And I just can't believe how current the book is. Like, that was a really striking thing. You, You turned that around very fast. Where would you say the messaging sits right now? Like, is it video clips, like, on YouTube? Is it WhatsApp forwards? Like, where has it evolved? Where does it sit now?
2: I think YouTube becomes a very essential carrier for a lot of this pop culture, especially because YouTube is one of the few platforms that allows them to monetize their content. So essentially what's happening is you're creating hateful content and getting paid for it and it becomes a self-sustaining business for so many of them. Of course, they're all, you know, sending their songs, as I said, to different streaming services. So, you know, you can go to the streaming service of your choice and you will find H-pop, Hindu pop music in there. The essential part here is that they're constantly using different mediums to be able to expand their audiences. They're not stuck on any one particular medium. So, one clip that is shot by them of a poetry recital that happens somewhere in a smaller village in in you know in Uttar Pradesh, which is in the north of India, that clip is quickly recycled and used as a YouTube shot. Uh, and then it goes up as a longer video on YouTube. The same clip then goes on to your or your WhatsApp streams, which are again dominated by the bjP and it's uh, it's it's sort of Hindu right- wing ecosystem. And then it's again used you know on your Instagrams, on your Facebooks. So what's what's interesting to see is that they're constantly recycling the same amount of content, but for different mediums, and they're they're able to reach wider and wider audiences using exactly this.
1: You know, one thing that was interesting about the book is that these people seem to be independent creators, but also, I, I guess the BJP is sort of like the most powerful party in the family of for parties. How much are they actively feeding this or directing it? Because I don't... I'm worried about suggesting that they're somehow behind it. If it's something that's a bit more, not so much spontaneous, but people understand. Like even in the book, they were saying, like they understand what side their bread is buttered on, right? Like, tell me about the BJP part in this.
2: I think it's fascinating to be able to enter that world and and see these you know very tenuous links between the BJP, the political party, and some of these creators, because essentially all of them in one form or the other are aligned with the BJP's agenda and are constantly trumpeting the agenda and constantly, you know, sort of amplifying what the BJP is trying to do here. So so does that automatically mean they're working for the BJP? The answer is no. But what I do find in the book, and I, I sort of, you know, I hope that the readers sort of read it and see it for themselves, is that there are these links that sometimes come up between these players and between not just the BJP, But it's allied Hindu nationalist outfits, you know, and and there are so many of them that are currently very, very active in different parts of the country. And you see that these players are hosted by some of these outfits. These players are sometimes, uh, you know, asked to contribute to their campaigns that they run. And in some of the cases, I've also found that people close to the BJP. Uh, would would be very happy and willing to you know to either fund or or to just support some of these independent creators because the BJP officially might not be able to do. Uh, so they see the value of the work that these these creators are doing and they're happy to you know sort of be there in solidarity uh, further their cause support them with resources sometimes so there are there are various forms in which this relationship is happening sometimes it's directly uh, but but most times it's 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 really indirect links which will eventually go back to the hindu right wing system the ecosystem that the bjp is very firmly a part of
1: these people all exist on digital platforms and these digital platforms are largely foreign companies that operate in India. Did you get any sense that these people were being, I don't want to say punished, but the thing that I guess surprised me is a lot of what you're talking about here is hate speech. It's, it's one thing to be very proud of being a Hindu and wanting a Hindu nation. It's another thing to incite for the death and the murders of, of, of minorities in India did you get any sense as you're writing the book that digital platforms were aware of this or doing anything about it?
2: Look, I mean the the reality of the situation is that a lot of the content that I'm talking about has been viewed by millions and millions of people. This is content that is viral, this is content that is extremely popular within the Hindu right-wing, uh, you know, subscriber base. So, I would be very shocked and surprised if if, you know, companies like YouTube turn around and say we had no idea this existed. Right. So there is definitely every possibility that all of these platforms have known for a number of years about the existence of these creators and have most, for the most part, looked away while, you know, letting all of them do what they want to do. It's very rarely that that a YouTube or a Facebook comes and, you know, sort of slaps these creators on the wrist and says, oh, you can't do this, you know, and, and then that punishment will last maybe for a few days, for a couple of weeks or a few weeks, maybe. But then these creators are back to doing exactly what they were doing. And YouTube and Facebook just decides to look the other way. Mm. So essentially what I'm trying to say is that these platforms have not just allowed these people to carry on doing what they're doing. They have incentivized a lot of this hate. Because YouTube, again, as I said, is is a platform that is thoroughly monetized by all of these players. They're actively earning out of it. You know, they're, 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 they're not passive contributors to these platforms, you know, not expecting anything. All of these people get money out of platforms like YouTube. And so the, so in a way, YouTube is in- incentivizing the creation of, of hate music, hate poetry and, and, you know, hate influencers who are doing this day in and day out.
1: You know, you had mentioned in the book, you sort of touched upon this a few times, that music, poetry, these the sort of like emotive art forms can really whip people up. And cause them to do terrible things, but I'm wondering: Did you ever see a direct link yourself between someone that someone was listening to and something they did? Because I, I do want to be careful about that.
2: No, I, I agree with you. I mean, what we're increasingly seeing, though, Dia, is is that some of the music that I am talking about, for instance, is often played in situations which have resulted in clashes. Sometimes, you know, riots like situations and and it has definitely aroused people's uh, emotions and their tempers. And I'll give you a a small example and a very recent one of this, which has not been covered in the book because it happened essentially after I had submitted the manuscript of the book. This happened not too far away from where we are sitting in Mumbai, uh, this place in Malvani, uh, which is to the north of Bandra. And there was a Ram Navmi procession that was being taken out by, you know, Hindu organizations and a part of them were also Hindu right-wing organizations allied to the BJP. And just when they were passing through a, a mosque in that locality is when they started playing a certain song which basically talked about how enemies of the Hindus need, need to be taught a lesson. And, and you know, how we're ready with our swords in case someone objects to us and in case someone, you know, stands up to fight us. And that song was played just when the procession was snaking its way outside of the mosque in the locality. Now, what happens just, you know, just a minute or two later is that both sides, the the Muslims gathered there, as well as the Hindus are part of the profession, uh, you know, just sort of erupted. The passions erupted and there was pelting of stones and, and, and shoes were thrown at each other. And, and it could have gotten a lot worse uh, if the police hadn't intervened in time. But it could have been a riot. It could have been something much worse. So while it might be very difficult to you know sit down and pinpoint the causality of a lot of these you know hate crimes and, and sort of these instances of sectarian violence I think what is undeniable is the effect that it is having on our minds the the very nature of this pop culture is meant to dehumanize and villainize uh, others in the society they could be religious minorities, as I said, they could be Muslims, they could be Christians, but they could also be critics and rivals of the BJP and of Narendra Modi. And and so what happens after you've dehumanized and villainized all of these people is, is, is really anyone's guess. You know. So while there may not be a, a direct link, a cause and effect link to it, I think what's alarming is that we must remember what it's doing in our minds. It is It is sort of constantly legitimizing a lot of this hate.
1: I'm interested, like you've written this book. I mean, Western audiences might appreciate it. Your real target is sort of like raising the alarm for Indian readers. What do you want them to do with the knowledge that you're presenting in the book?
2: The answer to this question is 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 in sort of different spheres. One aspect of it is I want people to realize and people to be a lot more, you know, sort of concerned about the kind of pop culture that they might be consuming. A lot of people don't seem to realize that the pop culture they're consuming could just actually be political propaganda, and I hope that the book sort of does spark that thought of, of you know a more conscious consumption of some of this pop culture, especially music and poetry. Uh, the other part of it is that I also want people to understand some of the issues that you know a lot of the people in the Hindu right wing are are raising, the grievances that they have, the problems that they have with the liberals you know, somewhat like in the States, in India, we're increasingly you know, living in polarized times where people on both sides of the political aisle are refusing to engage with each other. They're refusing to see that the other person might have genuine issues or grievances. And as a result of which, I mean, you know, social media is only then aggravating the bubbles that we choose to live in. And this is the gap that I'm also trying to bridge where people understand what is happening in, in both ecosystems, not just the right wing, but also the liberal ecosystem.
0: That was journalist Kunal Peruhit speaking with NPR's Dia Hadid about his new book, H-Pop: The Secretive World of Hindutva Pop Stars. After this interview, NPR reached out to YouTube and Spotify seeking comment. A YouTube spokesperson told NPR the company had removed some videos the interview had brought to their attention and that it keeps working to improve the system that flags potentially problematic content. Spotify had not responded by the time of this airing. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learn. Get closer to the issues, the people,
2: and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast.